Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 15, Saxo-Oman. Hello everyone, and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I'm your host, Nick Mashinsky. Well, the past few weeks have, needless to say, been interesting with the coronavirus spreading around the world. It has really hit the states here most recently, and we're really feeling the effects. Over uh, over here, I know some of you, many of you, have been feeling the effects for much longer than that. And wherever you are, I hope you're safe while you're listening to this, and I, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to A History of the Inca I know entertainment options are sort of slim at the moment with a lot of events being delayed or canceled. And I know a lot of people are frustrated about that. Some people can't go to work. Some of us are stuck in self-isolation. I know my son's daycare is probably going to close in the next few days. So I'll be at home quite a bit in the, for the next few weeks, I imagine. And uh, I just want to remind you all, you know, you can always listen to some history podcasts, recommend podcasts to your friends. And of course, while we're all in this together, keep keep safe, wash your hands, practice good hygiene, and hopefully we'll be out of the woods here uh, shortly. So again, if you're running out of things to do, you can always keep up with the show at A History of the Inca Facebook page or on Twitter at Inca Podcast. Uh, Tell your friends about the show, as I'm sure they would love to know more about the Inca and especially keep themselves entertained during these uh, next few weeks here. And, of course, we have our website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com. If you want extra pictures, updates, or news, check out those sources. Unfortunately, we don't have any new patrons this week. But I do encourage you to go to patreon.com slash Inca podcast to support the show monetarily if you'd like. You can sign up for our $2 level, which you will get a shout out on the show and your name on our website. You could have your name echoed into the ears of listeners thanks to this world famous podcast. Okay, some might say famous isn't the right word, but the show has been downloaded by listeners in dozens of countries all over the globe. So I would argue world famous is correct. Either way, if you want to support the show monetarily, Patreon is how to do it. Now then, this is the first in several episodes where we'll be stepping away from the narrative. We are going to explore several aspects of Inca life, rule, and culture. Now maybe you're more interested in the narrative part of the history, and I understand that. However, there is a lot that one can take away by covering such topics. And I guarantee you will come away with some new knowledge and appreciation of not only the Inca, but other Andean groups as well. Not only this, but these topics will be crucial as we'll be touching on them throughout the rest of this podcast. We are going to begin with the largest monolithic structure in the Western Hemisphere, Saxo-Oman. The giant stone shrine, fortress, palace, storage structure overlooking Cusco. Maps of this monstrous structure, as well as a variety of pictures, are up on the website. Enjoy. (laughs) 
Depending upon who you ask, the term Saxawaman can mean a couple of things. One translation in Quechua means replete falcon. However, I prefer the second translation as it makes much more sense. Garlanded head or spotted head. And the reason that second translation makes the most sense is because Saxawaman was built as the head of the puma that the city of Cusco was supposed to represent. Saxawaman sits above Cusco, overlooking the city as a natural redoubt. Steep cliffs actually face the city, adding to the sense that the site was actually used as a fortress. And while this description may be appropriate based on its appearance, Saxawaman is much more than that. We'll start on the northern side of the site. A large circular reservoir with a network of water channels is located here. Of course, we know how precious water can be in the Andes, and it is believed that this reservoir was called Calispuquio, or Spring of Good Health, and was used in Inca rituals. Moving a little further south is a rock outcrop known in Quechua as Sacuna Hill, or in Spanish, Rodadero. Here sits the throne of the Inca. This isn't a traditional throne as we generally think of it. The throne of the Inca is actually a series of broad and smoothly carved low steps. Though Calus Puccio and the throne of the Inca no doubt played important parts in Inca rituals and thus government, that is not the most impressive aspect of Saxawaman. No, the most famous aspect of the site are the three massive terraced walls of polygonal masonry. These walls run in a zigzag pattern, jutting in and out, creating angles that would expose any assailant. Forty to fifty angles are contained in the structure, and the walls themselves run for 380 meters, or 415 yards. Luckily, we have some accounts of some Spanish conquistadors who came across Saxawaman when the site was in its true glory. One account reads, The most beautiful thing which can be seen in the edifices of that land are these walls, because they are of stones so large that anyone who sees them would not say that they had been put there in place by human hands, for they are as large as chunks of mountains and huge rocks, and they have height of thirty palms and a length of many more, and others have twenty and twenty-five and others fifteen, but there is none so small that three carts could not carry it. These are not smooth stones, but rather well joined and matched one with another. These walls twist in such a way that if they are attacked, it is not possible to do so directly in front, but only obliquely. These walls are of the same stone, and between wall and wall, there is enough earth to permit three carts to go along the top at one time. They are made after the fashion of steps, so that one begins where another leaves off. Towers could also be seen rising above the walls of Saxawaman, three to be exact. The chief tower, Moyuk Marka, stood at the western side and was circular in design. The other two towers, Sayak Marka and Pukar Marka, were in the center and eastern side of Saxawaman, but were rectangular in design. 
Archaeologists estimate that the towers were several stories tall and had many rooms designed for various purposes. Unfortunately, like every other tower we've discussed thus far, they are no longer standing. However, we can see their base. The tower Pukar Marka has the worst preserved foundation, but the Sayak Marka has a base measuring 22 by 10 meters. Meanwhile, Muyuk Marka has the best preserved foundation with three concentric circles measuring 9.5, 15, and 22 meters in diameter, or 30, 50, and 75 feet. Each of these towers is said to have had several rooms for storage. Actually, the entire site is said to have had numerous rooms for the storage of goods. How many rooms? We aren't quite sure. However, we have an idea of what the Inca stored here. Here is a quote from one conquistador, Pedro Pizarro. There were so many rooms that 10,000 Indians could get within them. All these rooms were occupied and filled with arms, lances, arrows, darts, clubs, bucklers, and large oblong shields under which a hundred Indians could go, as though under a mantle, in order to capture forts. There were many Morians, made of certain canes, very well woven together and strong, so that no stone nor blow could penetrate them and harm the head which wore the Morion. There were also, here in this fortress, certain stretchers in which the lords traveled, as in litters. There were here many Indians who guarded these stores, and who saw to it that these terraces and rooms were kept in repair if it rained in the winter time. This fortress would have been impregnably strong had it been provided with water, and it had great labyrinths and rooms which I never saw completely and never understood. Just by that account, one can tell that even a citizen of the most powerful empire in the world at that time was overwhelmed and awed by the size of Saxo-Oman. But who made it, and how was it built? Well, depending on what source you are reading, Saxo-Oman was built either by Pachacuti, or he left it to his son, Tupac Inca Yupanqui. I'm sure either leader would be happy to take credit for this marvel of the Andes. But frankly, who built it is of little interest to archaeologists. What is far more fascinating is how Saxo-Oman was built. I mean, this is a massive site. I'm 6'4", and I am dwarfed by the size of these blocks. So how was it created? Of course, you need a labor force. A large labor force. I take that back. A very large labor force. Good thing there is the Mita labor system. These laborers stayed in Muyu Kocha, which is just north of Saxuaman. And we know this because the site doesn't show any previous occupation, nor does it show any later occupation. Thus, the site was only occupied during the construction of Saxuaman. Interestingly, Though I suppose not surprising, the inhabitants use Lake Titicaca ceramic styles. This, of course, suggests that the workers were from that area. It seems as though the Inca recognized the brilliant architectural achievements from that area and sought to achieve a similar style. Back to the construction. 
It is estimated that 20,000 laborers were required according to the information Cieza de Leon was given. In his account, he, Pachacuti, ordered 20,000 men sent in from the provinces and that the villages supplied them with the necessary food, and if one of them took sick, that another would be sent in his place, and he could return home. These Indians were not permanently engaged into his work, but only for a limited time, and then others would come, and they left, so this work did not become onerous. 4,000 of them quarried and cut stone. 6,000 hauled them with great cables of leather and hemp. Others dug the ditch and laid the foundations, while others cut poles and beams for timbers, so that they could be contented. These people lived in separate groups, each with his own region, near the site where the building was to be erected. Even today, most of the walls of these houses they occupied can still be seen. Now, I've mentioned this before in this episode, but I'm going to again just to get the point across. These blocks were massive. How massive? While the blocks vary in size and shape, one of the blocks is 16 feet high, 6.5 feet wide, and 8.5 feet deep. And again, you can see how large these blocks look on the website ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com, where I've posted a few, well, several pictures. But it's not just the dimensions of the blocks, it's also their mass. One block is estimated to weigh 90 metric tons. And for those of you who don't know, a metric ton actually weighs about 2,200 pounds, which is 200 pounds greater than the U.S. standard ton. But that isn't even the largest block. Another block is estimated 128 metric tons. That's within the range of an adult blue whale. So where were the stones from? It had to be close by, right? Much of the stone was quarried just southeast of Piquiacta, 12.5 miles away. The rock was cut and then roughly hammered into shapes. And I'm not talking about with a hammer and chisel. Oh no, the Inca didn't have that technology. Instead, river cobbles were used to shape these massive blocks. Stone pounding and chipping away at stone. Now distance is relative. 12.5 miles away doesn't sound that crazy when one talks of driving, or if you're like me, a distance runner. However, the transportation of these blocks is taking place nearly two miles above sea level in very thin air, and you are literally dragging this stone, which weighs as much as 20 elephants, uphill. In my mind, it is a very long way. And that is exactly what happened. As was mentioned in Leon's account, about 4,000 men were used to quarry the stone and 6,000 were used to drag the stone to the site. These rocks were drug using ropes of hemp and leather from llamas. However, Batanzos also mentioned sinew being used as well. So, we have a quarried block that was roughly shaped using nothing but river cobbles, hauled 12.5 miles uphill, 
By this point, you've probably figured out that there isn't an easy way to put this block into place. And you'd be right. Using Leon's numbers, about 10,000 more workers were at Saxuaman, assisting to get these blocks into place. And they did that not with cranes, but with ramps. So those of you who have hauled this stone all the way, we just need you to drag it up this giant earthen ramp we've just created. Come on now, put your backs into it. Once the blocks were at the top, another team of masons hammered the block again to mirror the block underneath it to ensure a perfect fit. The block was then carefully maneuvered into place. Despite the distance and the sheer mass and magnitude of the blocks, the construction of Saxwaman is said to have only taken six years to complete. This is likely mainly due to the Mita system of labor, which ensured fresh crews of workers every so often to lessen the burden on any one group or individual. Though quite a bit of the site was taken down during the colonial period, Saxwaman is still a wonder to behold even today. So next time you're in Cusco, make sure you climb up the steep hill to the city's northwest to view one of the largest megalithic structures in the world. Speaking of Cusco, we're going to head back to the city proper for our next episode. There is one more building that we have to discuss, and it was arguably the most important building in the entire empire. I'm talking about the sacred, golden-lined heart of Cusco, the Cori Concha. Thank you.